great to see all of you today. You always wonder when it's drizzly and dark and dismal if it will discourage people to come to church or encourage people to come to church. So, But I'm glad you're here and you weren't uh, dissuaded by the rain. Of course, on the, other po- on the other side of the coin, there's nothing else you could do today, right? So you really needed to come to church. You, you got rained out. So uh, that's, that's great. So, so we come in our study of the Gospel of Mark to a beautiful... A story that, quite frankly, really choked me up this week. My wife can attest to that, as she heard me talk about it on several occasions through the week. So if it happens to choke me up while I'm preaching it to you today, don't mind me. It's just, it's just an emotionally gripping story to me. When you understand its, its background and its purpose, and when you visualize what's actually happening here in this passage, I think you will agree that it is a beautiful and gripping picture of true faith and God's mercy. Uh, This event is recorded for us only in Matthew and Mark. It does not appear in Luke or John. And we're going to refer to Matthew's account a time or two, as well as reading the passage in Mark. I did have to chuckle last week. We looked at 23 verses. This week we're looking at 7 and so kind of back to normal with some of my normal preaching patterns here. But, but uh, so if you will grab your Bible, I know you've got it there. If you don't have one nearby, there is one on every pew, uh, one on every row there. That's a black, uh, black hardcover Bible. And uh, if you do not have one and would like to follow along, there should be one on each row that you can, uh, that you can get a hold of. Mark chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 24. And we're just going to read up to verse 30. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, and then up to verse 30. From there he arose, and he is Jesus. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Of course, we know that. He couldn't hide from anybody. Every place he went, everybody knew him. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, a demon, heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. As we begin today, I want you to understand that the the eternal purpose of God has always been to redeem people, to save people, to transform people, to bring people into his kingdom from every single ethnic group on the planet. This has always been God's ultimate plan. God's plan of salvation, God's eternal plan of redemption has always included people from all over the world. It is terrible and and an unfortunate misunderstanding of the Bible to think that Jesus Christ is only for people of a particular ethnic background. That is untrue, that is unbiblical. 
from many different research groups. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we can learn there are more people worshiping God today in underground churches in China than are attending church in all of Europe put together. There are enormously more people worshiping God in churches today, this Sunday, in South America and in Africa than there are in church in the United States and Canada. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all over the world. People of nearly every ethnic group on the planet, on every continent of the world, are gathered together in local church fellowships today, worshiping God. And that is exactly what God intended. That's exactly what God intended. Now let me briefly demonstrate that to you with just a, a five minute, I think it'll be five minutes, a five minute background Bible study. So warm up your fingers. I don't have tons of verses for you, but just a couple. Look at Genesis chapter 12. We'll be right back here in Mark 7 in just a moment. Look at Genesis chapter 12. When God was calling Abraham, some of you who are with us in our Sunday morning Bible study time, you will remember a number of weeks ago, several months ago now, we looked at Genesis chapter 12. But I want you to see a fascinating phrase here, Genesis chapter 12. God is calling out Abraham, and he's going to make the nation of Israel out of Abraham. So the nation of Israel came from Abraham. There was a reason for that. God, God wanted to preserve his word. He wanted to use the nation of Israel to, 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 to preserve his truth and, and, and to teach it to others. And look what God says to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, Genesis 12, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. And, I, and of course, we know that that's going to be true through the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And look at this phrase. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is a very important, very early, way back in the book of Genesis. God says, through you, Abraham, not just your descendants, not just the nation that I'm going to make out of you, but all the families of the earth will be blessed because of what I'm going to do through you. Just a little tiny window as to God's eternal plan of salvation. Then I'd like you to look, if you would, at Psalm 67. Psalm 67. It's a short psalm. We're going to read it. It's only seven verses. Psalm 67. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah means to think about it, to meditate on it. That your way, that your way, meaning God's way, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It means all the people groups of the world. Oh, let the nations, the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let, then let the earth, or then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. You see, God's eternal purpose we see from this passage. It, it, God's eternal purpose is to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared among all nations. The word nations, I should, should clarify to you, when the Bible talks about nations, it's not talking about a political entity. That's the way we use it. The nation of Canada, or the nation of Mexico, or the nation of the United States. When the Bible uses the term nation, it, it is, it is an, an ethnic identity. If the Bible speaks about a political identity, like a country, like we think of it, it uses the word kingdom. So a kingdom and a nation, not the same thing in, in the Bible. The, the kingdom is the political entity, nation is an ethnic identity. So when he talks about in this psalm, the peoples, plural, and tongues and nations, those are all people groups, languages, ethnic groups. And look at God's purposes. I gave them for you. To be known, to be praised, to be enjoyed, to be feared. Look at verse 2. That your way may be known on the earth. God wants to be known. That to, to be praised. Uh, verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Peoples plural. All the people groups of the world. To be enjoyed. Verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You're supposed to enjoy your relationship with God. To, to be feared, verse, uh, there in, in verse 7, that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. The word fear means to be honored, to be respected. So God wants people to know about Him, that, that He is a God of justice, that He's a God of authority, that He's a God of mercy, because that leads us to repentance, that leads us to worship. So a God of justice, he said in verse 4, you will judge the peoples righteously. He's a, he's a God of justice. He said you will govern the nations on earth. He's a God of authority. He said God be merciful to us and bless us. God is a God of mercy. And, and so God's eternal purpose is to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared among all the nations of the earth. There are many, many passages in Isaiah that teach this as well. Several years ago when we did a study in Isaiah 40 to 46, we read many of them. Many of you, most of you were here with us for that. For the sake of time, for our short background Bible study, I'm not, I'm not going to turn to them, but I'm going to quote one of them to you. It's, it's Isaiah 45, 22. Where Isaiah cries out this, this word from God. He says, God says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. In the preceding verses, God says, I have not spoken in secret. I've not spoken in dark places of the earth. There's no God besides me. I'm a just God and a Savior. There's no God besides me. So look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And if you look at that passage, Isaiah 40 to 46, I think there's about 10 different places in those six chapters where God says, I am the only God that exists. There's never been one before me. There'll never be one after me. I'm the only God that exists. So turn to me and be saved because I'm the only one who can, who can forgive you. Then I want you to look, if you would, at, at Revelation chapter 5. 
We'll go from the beginning of the Bible to the middle of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And just so you know, this is just a tiny little sampling of this, of, of this teaching. It is all over the Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and verse 10. The scene here is in heaven. We won't give all the background of that, but, but, but what's going on here is the Apostle John, God gives the Apostle John this glimpse into the future to get a glimpse of the things taking place in heaven. Both of these passages we're going to look at in Revelation, they take place in heaven. And John says, Revelation 5 verse 9, And they, meaning the people there in heaven, they sang a new song, saying, and they're talking to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Notice, he says, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Then look at chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. We see another similar scene in heaven. Just turn one page over. You should be there. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. By the way, these were the Bible memory verses for our summer Bible club this, this year. 7, 9 and 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders all fell down. So we will, read, we will continue reading there. But I want you to think about something for, for just a moment. John looks... And he sees in verse 9, a multitude, a great multitude, which no one could number. That is, there's so many people, he can't even begin to estimate how many of them are there. It is a multitude, he said, there, there's so many people there, you can't even count them all. And notice he says, they are clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So, how does he know? In fact, I asked the kids that this summer. I said, how does he know? But there are people of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. They're all wearing exactly the same clothes. Let you ponder that just a second. How does he know? He sees their faces. That's how he knows. They're from every tribe and people and language and tongue. They're all wearing white robes. They all have palm branches in their hand. They're all singing before the Lord. But, but John looks at this, this sea of people. And he looks at their faces and he says, wow, there are people there from every tribe on the planet. There are people there from every people group on the, on the planet. Every language ever been spoken on planet Earth, there's people there. Wow. And he does that because he sees their faces. So, back to my thought here again. From Genesis to Revelation... The eternal purpose of God has always been to redeem people, to save people, to transform people, to bring people into his kingdom from every single ethnic group on the planet. That's what missions is all about. 
That's why Dan Gillette is translating the Bible for people in Pakistan and India. That's why Byron Saraceno is preaching all over reservations all over the United States. That's why Tom Castor is writing the things that he's writing that have been translated into 30 different languages all over the world because it is the purpose of God to bring into his kingdom, to redeem them and save them and transform people from every ethnic group onto the planet. That's always been the purpose of God starting way back from the very beginning. Now you wouldn't get that message if you were talking to the Jews of New Testament times. They viewed the Gentiles as outcasts. They viewed them as aliens to the covenants of God and separated from the life of God and from the purposes of God to borrow some expressions from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2. They saw the Gentile world as being cursed and under divine judgment and they viewed themselves as the ones who would receive the great benefits of salvation. They had become very isolated from the Gentile world and generally expressed hostility toward the Gentiles around them. But that was simply a misunderstanding, a reflection of their misunderstanding of the Old Testament. Because these verses that we looked at a moment ago are just a small sampling of what the Old Testament taught regarding God's eternal purpose in redemption. His plan has always been to ultimately to include every ethnic group on earth. And of course, Jesus totally understood his purpose. The apostles would eventually get it. But during the ministry of Jesus, they didn't get it. The wonderful Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4.14, he said, We have seen and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So they eventually got it, obviously. That's why we're all still here 2,000 years later. Because they got it. But during the ministry of Jesus, they didn't get it. Salvation has always been intended to be for all the people groups of the world. So if you ask the question, I know some of you brilliant Bible scholars, the wheels are turning right now, and you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, didn't, didn't Jesus say in John 4 that salvation is of the Jews when he was talking to the Samaritan woman? If you didn't think of that, I just reminded you of it. Why in Matthew 10, 5 and 6 did Jesus say, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The reason our Lord came to Israel was to bring salvation to Israel so that Israel could be the means of Gentile salvation. Let me explain that more. While the overall nation of Israel rejected him, there was enough who believed who then took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we are the fruit of that first generation of Jewish believers who took the gospel to the world. The early church was Jewish those early years. The first eight or ten years, the early church was almost completely Jewish. 3,000 came to Christ in the day of Pentecost, thousands more as the months rolled by, and they eventually then began to branch out just as Jesus had commanded them in the Great Commission, and they carried the gospel to the world in fulfillment of God's plan. So when the Bible says salvation is, is, is from the Jews, it means from the Jews first, and then also to the Gentiles. You may know the famous verse, Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power, excuse me, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, all the Gentiles. See, the nation of Israel was intended to be the starting point, not the end. And there were enough of them who believed in the Lord Jesus, who were empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we read in Acts 2, to, to go out and preach in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the farthest ends of the earth. 
And very soon they turned their world upside down and they reached across oceans and across continents to other places and the gospel has spread since then all the way around the globe just as God intended. The the eternal purpose of God, I say again, has always been to redeem people, to save people, to transform people and bring into his kingdom people from every ethnic group on the planet. So in our text back in Mark chapter 7, Jesus leaves Israel and he goes on a fairly long journey deep into Gentile territory. He's into the last year of his ministry. There are some believers, but not many. Most have rejected him. The Pharisees hate him. They're looking to kill him. Jesus is beginning to work his way toward Judea. He's going to face the opposition of religious leaders, and ultimately he will die on the cross. But en route to Judea, he takes a very extended journey, probably several months, in this big, large circle around through Gentile country. So when verse 24 begins, Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That would be in the country known in that day as Phoenicia. Phoenicia had five main cities, two of them famous cities, Tyre and Sidon. They're two coastal cities, 20 miles apart. Well-known cities in secular history and in the Old Testament, mentioned many times in the Old Testament. Today, they're in the modern-day country of Lebanon. But the, the, the Phoenicians were, were skilled seagoing people. They traveled all over the ancient world for commerce and trade. And just one short... 30-second rabbit trail, you know, they found Phoenician pottery and coins from around the time of Christ that had been found in Indian burial mounds in the eastern United States. The Phoenicians even came to North America. But the Phoenicians were, they were descendants of the Canaanites who had escaped the conquest of Canaan by Joshua and they had fled northwest to the coastal areas and they rebuilt another society. They worshipped idols, they had false gods, You may remember the infamous Queen Jezebel from the Old Testament. She was from Tyre. Her father was the king of that city. But Jesus went there to Tyre and Sidon. We don't know how long he was there. He next appears in Decapolis. We'll look at that next week. Another Gentile area southeast of the Sea of Galilee. So he must have gone to Tyre and Sidon, traveled through the mountains of Lebanon, and then down south into Decapolis, a trip that would be well over 100 miles, maybe close to 150 miles, taking many weeks, only having a few encounters along the way with crowds of people. We presume he was spending his time teaching his disciples in a more private setting. So here in the middle of Mark, chapter 7, we begin that journey. Jesus enters a house. He's trying to hide. That's impossible, as we know. People everywhere recognize him. Jesus of Nazareth has been coming to town with 12 men. That would be hard. That'd be very hard to hide. And even here, they know who he is. This is deep in Gentile territory, 40 or 50 miles from Capernaum, yet they absolutely know who he was. Look back at just a couple pages to Mark chapter 3. And let me show you one verse here in Mark chapter 3. That happened a year earlier, at least a year earlier. Mark chapter 3. Verse 7 and verse 8. Mark 3, verse 7 and verse 8. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, the Sea of Galilee, And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, east of the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. And so, way back even in the first year of Jesus' ministry, 
There were people from Tyre and Sidon who had come down to see the Lord Jesus Christ by the Sea of Galilee. They had traveled 40, 50 miles to come and hear Jesus. Idumea, the place they talked about, was down, uh, down by the Dead Sea. They traveled 40, 50 miles north. So people were coming from, from 50, 60 miles in, in every direction on foot to hear Jesus teach in the first year of his, of his ministry. So now Jesus shows up in Tyre again, uh, up by Tyre and Sidon. You think they don't know who he is? Well, of course they do. They've been following his ministry in some ways for, for, for over a year. So a, a great number of people heard all that he was doing. They came to him. Same thing you, you read in Luke chapter 6. So, so they knew all about him. And word about this amazing miracle worker had spread. There were people who came from Tyre and Sidon exposed to his ministry. And maybe this woman we read about here in, in Mark 7, maybe she was one of them. Maybe she was one of the group of people from Mark chapter 3 who had already seen Jesus in Tyre and Sidon. She's certainly very familiar with Jesus. She not only knows what he's capable of doing, she even knows who he is. My guess is she had been there in Galilee in those crowds and that she had been there often enough to be quite certain about this person, Jesus. And the clues in our text tell us a few things about her. She's young enough to have a very young daughter. People married very early in that era, so I'm guessing she's probably in her 20s or maybe her early 30s. She's a Gentile, Mark says, means she speaks Greek. Says, he calls her here Greek. Uh, she is a citizen of Syrophoenicia, Syrophoenicia by birth. Yeah, so speaking Greek would indicate that she could possibly operate a business. Greek was the trade language. It was the language of business and commerce everyone used. You would learn your local language growing up, then if you were in business, you would learn Greek in order to operate in the business world with people from all over the Roman Empire. There was a Roman general many generations before who had annexed Phoenicia into Syria. That's why we have the name Syro-Phoenicia. Uh, so, so this woman, fairly young, has at least one little girl. Actually, Matthew, in, in Matthew's Gospel, it says she was a Canaanite. As a Canaanite... She would be very familiar with the worship of Baal. And as somebody in a Roman-influenced culture, she'd be very familiar with the gods of the Romans. In the city of Tyre, of course, that's where Jezebel came from. That's where Baal worship originated. So you've got Baal and the Roman gods and evidence of the worship of the Greek god Astarte. Astarte was the goddess of beauty, the moon goddess. Astarte is the name for Ashtoreth, the Greek name for Ashtoreth in the Old Testament. We just read that this morning in our morning Bible study as well. You remember that Baal and Ashtoreth were worshipped by ancient Israel. So Tyre and Sidon were just engulfed in idolatry. Now you say, so why are you telling us all of this? Because humanly speaking, when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ and coming to Jesus Christ, this woman had everything you could possibly think of going against her. There, there is no more unlikely person who would seek the Lord than her. Yet here she is, seeking out the Lord Jesus, falling down before Him, crying out after Him. So I just encourage you with this. Never give up on your loved ones who need Jesus. Keep praying. Keep witnessing. Keep asking. Keep inviting. Never give up. Because there is no human reason why this lady would be crying out to the Lord Jesus for mercy. She lived in a city filled with idols and filled with idol worshippers. 
Yet the situation with her little girl drove her away from the idols and brought her to the feet of the Lord Jesus. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her little girl. Look at the account in Matthew for just a moment. Look at Matthew 15. Mark 7 and Matthew 15, the only two places this event is here. Again, just a short, just a short passage. Matthew 15. And we'll begin to read in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, I mean, she's a Canaanite, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. We see in our passage that she just kept asking him to cast the demons out of out of her little girl. Matthew 15 fills in a few blanks for us. And, and I want to highlight with you that this lady's faith. She calls Jesus Lord. She calls him the Son of David. There in Matthew. Now, those are Old Testament Jewish terms for the Messiah. She is openly recognizing that Jesus is the Redeemer promised in the Old Testament. How did she come to know this? Well, we don't, we don't know. But, but she certainly knew enough and, and apparently had heard enough that she recognized who Jesus really is. And that is the first step of real faith. You have to have faith in the right thing. You have to have faith in the right person. You can't trust the wrong thing and hope to receive anything from the Lord. Many people say, people tell me, they find out I'm a pastor. Oh, Reverend, I've got faith. Oh, I believe. And I always want to ask them, believe what? Faith in who? Great, you got faith. Faith in what? Faith in your church? Faith in your own goodness? Faith in your own sincere efforts? Faith in your priest, faith in your pastor, faith in some ceremony that you've done, faith in some prayer that you've prayed. Faith in what? Faith in who? This woman has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. She has faith in who he is. You are the promised Savior, he says. You, she says, you are the Lord, the Son of David, and I am pleading for mercy. And verse 25 says she, she worships him. She pleads, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. She has the right foundation for her faith, the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, and she knows what he can do. So you, you have to, if you're going to come to Christ, you have to trust something real, something valid, something true. She has the right focus, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Son of David. Who else can heal her little girl? Who else exercises authority over demons like he does? She is filled, this is a great thought too, she, she, she is filled with hope in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, as we saw there in our reading in Matthew 15, at this point the, the disciples have the sensitivity of a rock. Send her away, Lord! She just, she just keeps shouting at us. 
She just keeps crying after us. You know what I mean, it's this Canaanite woman. Get her out of here, you know. We're trying to hide from people. She won't leave us alone. She's crying out after us. How annoying. You think, oh, come on, guys. She, she's pleading for mercy for her little girl. And you know the Lord Jesus can help her. But no, she, she's annoying us. This Gentile woman's being, being a real pain. Get rid of her, Lord. But back here in Mark 7, Jesus responds with a, a very interesting word picture. Verse 27. Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. The children, of course, are the Jewish people. The bread is the message of Jesus. The dogs are the Gentiles. A common, nasty term used by many Jews of the day, Gentile dogs, they would say. Dogs generally ran in packs. They were garbage-eating scavengers. So the Jews called the Gentiles dogs, a nasty term. But Jesus uses a different word. He uses the word for a little family pet. It's, it's translated here, little dog. For a, a, like, like a puppy, a, a, a small dog. And he says to her, you know, lady, he says, we can't take the children's bread and feed it to the family pets. Nobody's going to come into their house and the little puppies are running around and their kids are at the table. They're not going to take the loaf of bread and give it to the little puppies. They're going to feed their kids. And she says, and this, this one, this one, I tell you, just gets me. She says, I know, Lord. I know. Even, but even the little puppies get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. Lord, I know I'm not from Israel. I know I'm a Gentile dog. I know I'm a Canaanite. All of my ancestors were supposed to have been wiped out under Joshua's conquest. It never happened. I'm still here. I'm a Canaanite. I'm not even supposed to be here. I know I, know I don't deserve anything. But can you, can, you just, can you just drop me a few crumbs? That's, that, that's all I want. I've got a little girl who's suffering at the hand of a demon. I don't even deserve to ask. But can you just give me a few crumbs? Matthew records when Jesus says she has great faith, it's the word, Greek word mega. Jesus says, oh woman, he says, you have mega faith. Here in Mark, he says, because of what you said, because of the way you asked, consider it done. And it was. And in the omniscience of the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows who the little girl is. He knows where she is. He knows the name of the demon who's afflicting her. And with his divine authority, he just commands the demon to leave her without ever saying a word or even going to where she was. That's the Savior I want. A Savior who knows everything and can do anything. And you know the crumbs that fall from the table? They're part of the same loaf. So she says, Lord, I just want a few little scraps of your message. I don't need the whole loaf. I don't deserve the whole loaf. I just want a few crumbs of who you are and what you can do. That, my friends, is such a beautiful picture of real faith. True faith fights through the barriers of false religion. It rejects idolatry. It humbles itself. It is respectful. It is persistent. It will not let go. True faith comes to the Lord Jesus with no demands, no pride, no resistance, just humility and submission, recognizing who Jesus is and pleading for mercy. 
You know, God said, Jeremiah 29, 13, wonderful verse. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. What a magnificent story of saving faith. It, it rejects false religion and it seeks the truth. It rejects pride and demonstrates humility. What a contrast to the Pharisees. The woman cries, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I just want a few crumbs. That's all I want, Lord. I don't need the loaf. I don't deserve the loaf. Just give me a few crumbs, Lord. That's all I want. Just a few crumbs for my little girl. That's all I want. And according to Matthew 15, she kept saying it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to the point that the disciples say, oh, well, get her out of here, Lord. And she just never gives up. She's just hanging on for dear life. Lord, please, just give me a few crumbs. A year later, the Pharisees are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But this lady's saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. This, this, this Gentile lady living in an idolatrous city, the hometown of, of, of Jezebel, the birthplace of Baal worship, she gave honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, pleading for His mercy and grace, something that the religious leaders of Israel refused to do. So how about you? The eternal purpose of God has always been to redeem a people, to save people, to transform people, to bring people into His kingdom from every ethnic group on the planet. Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You will seek Me and find Me, God says, Jeremiah 29, 13, when you search for Me with all your heart. You will seek Me and you will find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. Where do you stand? with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful story when you really realize what's going on with this woman. Absolutely nothing in her background that would certainly lead her to the Lord Jesus. Just tells us again, Lord, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how much trouble you've had in your life, doesn't matter how many sins you've committed, it doesn't matter where you're from or who you're related to or what your ancestry is. The gospel is there. And if we simply come, Lord, help me, forgive me. Lord, just give me a few crumbs that fall from the table. That's all I want, Lord. I don't deserve anything. I'm not demanding anything. I'm just pleading for mercy. And we know, Lord, every person on the planet can do that if they simply will. I pray, Father, for my friends here this morning. I know many of them know you as their Savior. Maybe most of them do. But, Lord, I pray for those who may not. I pray they will call out for your mercy, recognizing who you are and what you can do. You are the only God, the only one there is, the only one there ever has been, the only one there ever will be. You are the only one who can save and forgive. So Lord, help us to cry out for just a few crumbs from your table that we can be forgiven and be brought into the kingdom of God by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we who know you as our Savior carry that message courageously. 
We ask you, Lord, as we often do at the end of every message, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, we pray. In the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. I want to sing as we close today the song that we uh, ended with right before the sermon, number 13 in your hymn book, number 13. Bow the knee. Thirteen in your handbook. What a privilege to come into God's presence Just to linger with the one who set me free As I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory I remember who he is and bow the knee Close this in prayer, please.